0: Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're continuing to march along in the book of Mark. If you just have the Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 675, I believe. We've been studying the life of Jesus, our King, and today we're going to hear him tell a story. So let's go ahead and jump right in to Mark chapter 4 and let's listen to this story that Jesus tells. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away, among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, But those that were sown on the the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The story that Jesus tells here is uh, simple enough. It begins in verse 3 with a farmer going out to plant, to sow grain in his field. So we need to readjust our minds away from our 21st century farming practices and, and get back to the way they used to do it before tractors. Uh, and, and they would go out, this guy had a bag, he had seed in it. He was going out into his field and he's just sowing the seed, he's casting it out. Okay. And as he sows the seed, it falls on four different kinds of soil. Three of these soils are bad because they don't produce any crop. And that's why you sow, you want to crop. So three of these soils are bad, one of them is good, because it produces a crop. The first soil is the path. It should be the hard, compacted ground where people have been walking along, and we don't know if the, the guy was intentionally throwing it there or not, but some of it lands on the, on the hard path, and one of the problems with hard soil is the seed can't get down in it. And so it just lays there on the path, and the birds come and they eat the seed, and it bears no fruit. That's the first kind. second kind of soil is the rocky soil. Now, this isn't just soil with rocks in it, but this is like uh, a rock substrata with a little bit of soil on top. So the seed lands on the soil, and it can grow, and it it seems to grow really well at the beginning, because it doesn't have anywhere to go down, so it can only go up. And so it it bursts up really quickly, and it has this nice, uh, quick growth, but there's no roots. It can't get below the rock. So when the sun comes up, and the heat of the day hits the plant, well, it doesn't have the root system to draw in moisture from the ground. And so it withers up and it dies. It bears no fruit. Uh, the third type of soil is the, so- is, the, is the thorny soil. Some of the seed falls among thorns and as the seed grows up, the thorns grow up with it and the thorns choke out the plant so the plant can't bear any fruit. Uh, but the fourth kind of soil is good. Doesn't many doesn't have any problems. Uh, the seed lands on it it germinates, it, it grows, and it produces crops. 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. Pretty good yields. Not miraculous yields, um, not horrible yields, but pretty good. Really good yield off of the grain. Okay, so that's the story that Jesus tells, and it's pretty easy to follow. Why would Jesus tell this story? That's the first question that we need to ask as we keep reading along in our passage here. The first nine verses are devoted to Jesus telling the story. But then as we get to verses 10 and 11, we see a reason why he tells it. Uh, before we get into those reasons, I'll, I'll tell you two reasons why he didn't tell the story. Uh, the first reason why he didn't tell the story was uh, to entertain people. Okay. Uh, we know that's true because it's, it's not that entertaining of a story. Uh, I, I just can't see the, the blockbuster here. You know, the, okay, wait, wait for it. So this guy goes out, this farmer, and he, he sows some grain. Right? And then, and then oil, so one, one, one uh, part of the soil, it just falls in the path. You know, you get, isn't this an exciting story? You know, Another part falls in a different grain. And, and oh, wait, wait, for, okay, so finally some good soil and some plants grow. You know, like, where's the, you know, it's just, you, you don't sit down. If I told my girls this story at bedtime, they'd be like, Dad, that wasn't a story. Like, you're, you're describing, describing farming, this is not interesting, it's not a good story. Uh, and, and you know them, they'd call me out on that. Um, so he's not trying to entertain them, it's not a very entertaining story. He's just kind of describing farming. It's not interesting. We might think, well, maybe he's telling them a story to teach the people. And in a sense, that's true. In verse 2, you see that it says he was teaching them in parables. Uh, in his teaching, he said to them, and he gives the story. But he's not really teaching like we think of teaching. Because uh, for better or for worse, the way we think of teaching lots of times is just as a content transfer, uh, like information from my head to your page. Uh, so, so Jesus, you would know, think if Jesus was teaching, he must have had a, a point that he clearly wanted to articulate. And he, he taught that to them, and they wrote it down in their notes, and they got it. Uh, but that's not what he's doing here. I mean, I, I don't see a note-taking outline that he's given to the folks to write down what he's saying. I don't, I don't see a really clear point even in the story that he tells. Now, just imagine for a minute you haven't read the explanation because he doesn't tell everybody the explanation. He just tells them the story. And and people sitting there hearing the story, again, all they hear is just some story about farming. He's he's not really clear. He's he's kind of failing as an American teacher, to make his point really obvious to the crowd. So it seems like he's got something else going on besides just entertaining folks or besides uh, just communicating uh, information. It seems that what he's doing here is issuing a challenge or an invitation to folks to investigate further the claims that he's making. See, at the beginning of of the story, in verse 3, He gives two strong invitations. He says, first of all, listen. And then literally, the word right after that is behold. So right after that, he tells the story. He says, listen, behold, pay attention. I'm telling you something you need to think about. He tells him this story. And then in verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is another way of saying, there's more to this story than what I've just told you. And I'm inviting you to find out more about what I'm really telling you. Uh, I tried to do something similar this week with a sermon title. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's The Kingdom of God is Like Farming. Put that on the board this week. It's kind of a weird title. It's kind of, it doesn't really explain itself. Uh, but it's an invitation for people to say, well, how is the Kingdom of God like farming? What do you mean the Kingdom of God is like farming? And maybe they would see that and maybe even come in and, and ask that question or maybe listen online or, or maybe you're here today because you wondered, you know, why? Or Maybe that's not why you're here, but maybe you were wondering, how is the Kingdom of God like farming? Okay, Jesus is doing something like that. He's teasing them. He's giving them a story. He's saying, you know, there's more to this story than just a description of farming. He has ears, let him hear. And in verse 10, we see that there is a group of people who take him up on that challenge and they come to him and they ask him, What are you talking about? In verse 10 it says, While he was alone, those around him in the twelve asked him about the parables. And he responded. Now, verses 11 and 12 are kind of a difficult passage. Um, Verse 11 and 12, Jesus says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, this this particular passage, these couple verses have caused a lot of people heartache. It's caused me some grief this week, trying to figure out what Jesus is saying here, because it seems like Jesus is saying, um, I'm being intentionally confusing so that people will not be forgiven. It kind of seems like he's saying that. He's saying, I'm speaking in parables so that they will not understand what I'm saying, because if they understood what I'm saying, then they would turn and be forgiven. And that's hard. It's because a lot of people, trouble, confusion. Why would Jesus say something like that? So I've wrestled with that this week. I've tried to earn my money from you. I've, I've read the commentaries. I've read parallel passages in Matthew and in Luke and in Isaiah chapter 6 where this quote comes from and tried to understand what is it that Jesus is really saying here. Because if he's saying a hard thing like that, we want to accept it and, and believe it. But if he's not really saying that, we, don't, we want to know what he's really saying. So as I've looked into that, I think there's two... Main options here to understand these difficult verses. Uh, The first option is the one that I just told you. Uh, Another way to say it would be this Jesus is trying to keep people from being forgiven. Okay? That's one way to understand what he's saying here. Uh, That Jesus is trying to keep people from being forgiven. So the assumption here is that everybody out there that he's talking to would repent and believe if Jesus was just clear. And Jesus doesn't want them to repent and believe, so he's intentionally confusing them so that they don't. Okay, this is one option. This is not the one I think is right, but just so you know. Um, This is one option. Now here's the reason why I don't think this is right. I don't think Jesus is just confusing some people and trying to confuse some people because he's an equal opportunity confuser. Uh, When you look at uh, the people who are confused by this parable, it's not just a select group that he's trying to keep out, it's everybody. Everybody's confused by this parable. You look at verse 10, the disciples and those around him, they come to him and they ask him, what are you talking about? Nobody understands the parable. It's not that Jesus is trying to confuse only a select group of people, he's saying this parable and confusing everybody, but at the same time, he's also available to explain the parable to whoever wants to know what it means. So yet the second option, the one I think that is right then, is this. That by, by speaking in parables, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to reveal who wants to be forgiven. He's, he's, he's setting up this, almost like a test, like this teaser, and he's saying, he who, has, he, he who has ears, let him hear. If you want to know the answer, come find out the answer. But if you don't, then fine. Just stay on the outside. Hear the parable, but don't understand. Don't believe. Don't be forgiven. But if you want to know, come. Come and ask. Because that's what happens with the twelve and even with those around him. This is not just some select group. It's not just the apostles in verse 10. It says it's the twelve and those around him. This, this group of people, the people who are really following Jesus, the people who really want to know the answer, they come to Jesus and they ask him, can you explain this to us? And he does. You see, the difference between the people who are on the inside hearing the secret of the kingdom and the people who are on the outside, it's not that the people on the inside are smarter. It's not that they figured it out or that Jesus even uh, explained it to them on his own. No, they're just the people who wanted to know. It's a self-selected group. They come for an answer. They're the ones who want to be forgiven. And Jesus explains the parable to them. So what I'm saying is that there is a group of people who are outside. There's a group of people who don't understand the parable, but they're out there because they don't want to know what it really means. Now, why would that be? Why would there be anybody who doesn't want to know the truth? Why would there be anybody who wants to hear, but not really understand? Well, it's because it's easier that way. Uh, We see this with politicians, um, probably more often than we'd want to admit. Uh, but you get a politician, he's got an agenda, he wants to get it done, he tells his underlings, get this done. I don't want to know how you do it, I don't to understand, you know, the workings of it, I don't want to know what sort of backroom deals you have to do, but just get this done, because if I don't know all the details about what you're doing, then I don't have to actually change my behavior. See, if, if I know what's actually going on, well, then I'd be accountable for it, I'd be responsible for it. So I'd rather stay on the outside, have some sort of plausible deniability, and not really be held accountable for the truth. Um, we see this with college sports coaches. Um, if some of you have been following the news, you know what I'm talking about. But you see uh, you know, college football coaches say, I don't, I don't want to know where my players get their tattoos. Uh, I don't want to know the truth about why my college football player is driving a car that's too expensive for what he's able to purchase on his own. Because if I did know that truth, if I did really seek it out, then I might actually have to do something. I might have to bench my star player. I might have to report violations to the NCAA. I might lose my job. And that's what people are like here. There's folks who are following Jesus. They're getting plenty from him. They're seeing the healings. They're experiencing the benefits. They like what they've heard so far about him being a king. And they might have that sense, well, if I really find out what he's all about, he might actually demand something from me. And I don't want to do that. I'm happy where I am. I'm okay with hearing but not really perceiving. I don't want to have to turn around and repent of anything. So I'm just going to stay going the way I am. And and we do this too, right? We do this too. We have this this thought, you know, I understand Jesus well enough. I understand the Bible well enough. I I understand the Christian life well enough. I don't really want to dig into what the Bible says. Because if I really try to understand what it's saying, well, then maybe I'll have to change. Maybe Jesus will actually demand something of me. I don't want to do that. But the reason that Jesus tells this story is to say, there's some people who are outside, there's some people who are inside. If you want to be inside, if you want to really follow me, you need to respond to this story and ask, what does it really mean? What's it really mean? Now thankfully we're not left in the dark with that. We don't have to just speculate, what does the story really mean? Jesus tells us that, and that's the heart of this passage, is the meaning of the story. Verses 12 through 20, Jesus explains the story, and like the story itself, the meaning is fairly simple to follow. Well, first of all, in verse 14, we have the seed. It says, The sower sows the word. Okay. So the, the seed that's being cast out is the word. and In our parable here, it doesn't explain what that is, but in the context of Mark, as we've been reading so far, we know what that is. It's the proclamation of Jesus as the king. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus goes around and he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the message of the word. It's the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is the king, that he is here initiating his beautiful kingdom, and that we are called to follow him in obedience. But that he's also the king with a cross, that the king came to pay the penalty for our sins, and as we believe in him, we are forgiven. And we get to follow him and be changed by him. Okay. That's the message that he's proclaiming. That's the word that goes forth. It's just the gospel, right? It's just the word about Jesus. He said that seed goes out and encounters four different kinds of people. I'm going to start at the end with the good soil. If you jump down to, turn, jump down to verse 20, you see what Jesus is hoping happens. He wants this response from good soil. He says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So there's a group of people who hear the gospel. This is is what we all want. You hear the gospel, you accept it, and then it changes your life so that you bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And again, fruit is not something that's clearly defined in this passage, but if you read the Bible, you see over and over again what that fruit is. It's simply the changed life that people have when they encounter God. If you want a list of things, you could look up Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. It's the classic list of the fruit of the Spirit. That is, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, He changes you, and He makes you different. I'd quote it for you, but I'd probably forget one, so here we go. Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, uh, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. These are the the fruit of the Spirit. That is, when when you accept Jesus and the gospel comes into your life, if you're good soil, then you start to bear this sort of fruit. Your life looks like this. You look like a person who's characterized by love and joy and peace and patience. So, what happens for good soil? You start to act like you're a citizen of the kingdom. You start to act like the king. So that's the good soil, but then there's three responses that don't look like that. If you go back to verse 15 in the path, you see that there are ones who are sown along the path where the word is sown. They hear and Satan immediately comes and takes the word that's sown in them. Okay, so this is one negative response to the gospel. Some people are just so hard-hearted, they don't even pretend to believe. They don't have any sort of positive response. They just say, no, thank you, shut down. Satan swoops in and he takes the gospel away and it makes no impact whatsoever in their lives. Some people, though, are like rocky soil in verse 16 and 17. They say they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. There's an immediate profession of faith. They say, Yes, that sounds good. I want that. And for a time, there seems to be growth. It so they, says they, they receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. But then at some point in time, persecution or trouble comes on account of what they believed, and they say, Oh, no, that's not what I signed up for. And they fall away, and there's no fruit. Another group of people are like the thorns or the people who fall in the thorny soil. Verses 18 and 19. They hear the word and like the people who fall on the rocky soil, they have an initial profession of faith. They seem to believe there's growth that happens. But then the thorns also grow up around them. The cares of the world. It says that here's the thorns. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, there's the things of this life, just swarm in and choke out your belief in the gospel so that that person does not truly bear fruit. There's no real conversion there. There's no changed life. Now it would be nice if we could stop right there. Uh, you'd get out early, first of all. You'd be happy for that. Um, I, I could give you, uh, I can give you a test now and say, hey, look, we've 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 transferred information. I could um, say, so here's the here's our matching test, okay? I just want to make sure that I taught you properly and we've all learned. Um, oh, so here's the four soils and here's the four responses. Can you match up? You know, okay, which one's the rocky soil? Uh, yeah, all right, yeah, that's the one who bleeds for a while and then falls away. Okay, good, you got that one. And and you could all probably get 100%. I'll even give you an open book test and you could do it. And we could pass it and we could leave here and we could think, all right, we've done it. We've learned something. We've heard a story from Jesus and we've understood it. But remember the reason for the story. The reason for the story is that there's a challenge here. Even if you, understand, even if you hear the story, if you understand you know, the facts about the story, do you really understand it? You, know, you can sit here and you can hear, oh, there's four different kinds of soil, but have you heard the challenge in this parable? Because the challenge in the parable is to say, which kind of soil are you? Jesus didn't tell us the story so that we could pass a test and say, oh, I know what the four different kinds of soil are, and yes, there's four different kinds of responses to Jesus, and I can ace that test. He told the story to say, there's four different kinds of people in this world, which one are you? And there's only one passing answer it's good soil. And I don't want you to shortcut this question. I don't want you to say, well, well I know I'm the good soil because I remember a time 20 years ago when I prayed a prayer or I went through a confirmation class or I was even baptized. And you say, that happened and, and so therefore I am good soil. right? Because I've got to point out that two of the bad kinds of soil had those experiences. The, uh, the people who are in rocky soil they had, I'm sure they could point back to some sort of conversion experience where they received the word and they seemed to grow. There's the people who had the, uh, the, the choking out by the thorns. They grew for a while. They seemed to be with it, but they got choked out by the thorns. They could point back to an experience in their life, maybe it was a confirmation class, maybe it was praying with somebody, you know, where, they, where they walked down the aisle at some sort of uh, event and they say, that was a moment where I believed in Jesus. But if that's all you've got, there's no differentiating you from the people who are in the rocky soil, or the people who are in the um, in the thorny soil, or the people who have the good soil. Jesus gives us a different test. He doesn't say, look back to a conversion experience. He says, look at your life right now, and tell me whether the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in your life. Now, I'm not knocking conversion experiences. The good soil has one, too. right? You need to start there. The word has to fall in the soil and germinate and begin to grow. You begin there. But that's not the only sign. That's not the determinative way that you figure out if you're a true believer. The difference between good soil and everybody else is that good soil has evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives, bearing that fruit. Now, again, to be clear, I'm not going to. Tr- I don't want to turn this into some sort of comparison party where we're talking about quantities of fruit. You, you, you look in verse uh, 20. And Jesus says, hey, the people who bear fruit, it's, it's all different. Some people have 30-fold, some people bear 60-fold, some people have 100. know, we're, we're all starting out from different places. We've all got different things going on in our lives that make the work of the Holy Spirit look different. You know, Some people might have had a fantastic childhood, and therefore they already have all this great uh, understanding of how to love people and how to have patience. And so the Holy Spirit comes in, and all of a sudden they just blossom into this fantastic, saintly person. You think, wow, that person's really a Christian. You know, but then someone else might have come from a horrible background and they just have to, they have to learn the basics, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit comes in and they're still really horrible and rotten towards people and they've got all this baggage, but there's that, that, that desire to repent and to believe in Jesus and there's just that little bit of fruit, you know, and that's enough. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit's at work. We're not talking about comparing yields between one person and another, and you've got to be a hundredfold producer in order to be a real Christian. No, you've got, to have, you've got to have like one little bud on your apple tree that says, the Holy Spirit is at work here. I was a dead tree, and now God has changed me so that I can even bear this one little flower, and that's a miracle. Okay? But if you don't have any flowers, if you don't have any sort of proof that the Holy Spirit is really working in your life, then that's probably a sign that you're not good soil. Okay? Because God is effective. When God comes to work in someone's life, when he really comes into your life, when you get the Holy Spirit, he changes people. He makes you more like Jesus. He gives you a desire to follow Christ and to repent of your sin when you encounter it and to love other people sacrificially and just to day by day become more like him. He's effective. And so if you don't see any fruit, don't go blaming the Holy Spirit. Examine your own heart to see whether you've truly received him. Okay. Now I know most of you pretty well. Um, And so I know that I'm not talking to a room full of hard-hearted people. I'm not talking to a room full of people who profess to be Christians but aren't. But at the same time, I can be fooled. (laughs) And so I want to faithfully proclaim the word of God to you and say, examine your hearts. Examine yourself. There is benefit for those of us um, who are Pretty sure that we're good soil, though. Uh, because the same method now, uh, th- 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 there's the same response to this message, whether you are um, a hard-hearted person who's never truly responded to the gospel, or whether you're fruitful soil, but you'd like to see yourself be more fruitful. Okay? There's the same response. It's just believing the gospel more and more taking it deeper into your heart. So let's walk through the parable one more time, and I want to tell you the response that we should have to this sowing of the Gospel in our lives. Starting with the, with the path, again, the, the hard-hearted soil, the, the first response when you hear the Gospel is to accept it. Right? We need to believe the Gospel. So if you've never done that, then you need to do that. If you've done that, you need to continue to do it, continue to believe the Gospel, that you are saved by grace alone. That's the first step. But then the second step is to put down roots in the Gospel. Okay. That's what the rocky soil lacked. It lacked roots. This is the problem with so many flash-in-the-pan Christians. It's that the gospel that they believe is not the real gospel. And so when the promises that they thought they were getting don't happen, they abandon it. So you get people who turn to to Christ and they think, I'm going to follow Jesus because that means my life will be good and I will be happy and I will get everything that I want and I will be healthy and wealthy. And when that doesn't happen, when persecution comes instead, those sorts of Christians fall away because it's not what they signed up for. But the roots of the Gospel are the real promises that we have in God, that we've been forgiven by Jesus, that we've been reconciled to God, and that now we've been promised that no matter what happens in our lives, good or ill, it is working for our good. And those are the sorts of things that provide roots and stability and that moisture, that, that water that we need when we're parched by the, by the harshness of the life that we have to live. Right? When you've got those sorts of promises, We've got that understanding of the gospel that goes down deep, the love that God has for you so much that he gave his son to die for you. That's the root that sustains you when the sun scorches, when the persecution comes, when when you encounter sickness and death and loss in your family. You need that sort of root. And when you get that sort of root, then you need to deal also with the competitors to the gospel, which is what you see in the thorny soil, and this is one of the most dangerous ones in our culture because we've got a lot of competitors to the gospel. In verse 19, Jesus says there's three main things that fight for our time and our attention and our passion apart from the gospel. The first one is the cares of this world or the anxieties of this world. This is what I was praying for at the beginning of this, uh, at the beginning of this sermon, that God would just take those away because... These, these are the, the thoughts that we've got in our minds that, just, that weigh on us. They use up all of our brain cycles. We're, we're just constantly thinking about, you know, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I, you know, if, if I don't get this thing done right, I'm going to lose my job, or people aren't going to like me. Or, or if, I, you know, if I don't get all this stuff done, then, then life is, you know, I, I just need to finish it all. I've got so much to do. And, and your life is just consumed with all this worry, with all these anxieties. And, and there's no space for Jesus. You're so anxious. You're so full of care. And that can choke out the gospel. Or you've got the deceitfulness of riches, which is this materialism of our culture. It's everywhere. This promise that if you just had more money, if you just had more stuff, then you'd be happy and your life would be better. No, it just means that you have more stuff. And that stuff can consume you. It can choke out your life so that you pay all of your attention to the things that you've bought or working to get more money to buy more things. And your life is consumed with that. And money is your God. And you don't marry any fruit. Or the desires, the third category. Uh, just, this is a catch-all. The desires for other things. You know, fill in the blank. Whatever else you know, that we pursue that we have desires after, it's our lusts, our passions, our hobbies, our, our just anything else that, that can, can become the most important thing in our life. And we're so skilled at that as human beings. We can take anything in this world and turn it into an ultimate thing. And so Jesus just says, watch out for all those things. There's any, the whole world out there is an idol, idol store, and you can go out and you can take whatever you want and turn it into an idol and make it the most important thing. It could be nature, it could be camping, it could be video games, it could be your kids, it could be coming to church, it could be anything, you fill in the blank. And Jesus says, there's desires out there for anything else except me, and if those become primary, they will choke you out and re- they will destroy your fruitfulness. And so if you want to be fruitful, you need to accept the gospel, you need to put your roots down deep in believing the true promises of God, and then you need to do some weeding. You need to get rid of these things in your life that are choking out the gospel, these cares and anxieties, this pursuit of wealth, these other things that take up all of our time and energy. And just to get really practical, this is why throughout the centuries so many Christians have uh, practiced starting their day off We're just taking a few minutes of time before the the world takes over. Just setting that aside, opening up this book, and and, and reading a bit of it. And and praying, and maybe even just praying a simple prayer like, Lord, would you protect me from these cares and anxieties and and things around the world that are attacking me, that I might be able to live this day for you and be fruitful. Some people call it a quiet time, some people call it a devotional time. There's plenty of books and other resources you can use to help. If you're interested in learning how to do that, please talk to me. But this is a very valuable and good practical way that we can do some weeding in our lives and every day before the rest of the cares just jump right in. And sometimes, literally, the kids wake up and they just jump right in and you don't have a chance. But but as much as you can, you set aside the beginning of your day to say, Lord, I want to focus on you and I want you to bear fruit in my life today. And that's an important point. It's, it's not you who's bearing the fruit. Can I, can I make that clear? Our job is to clear the soil, to be the fruitful soil, but it's, it's God himself who causes the gospel to grow in us and to bear the fruit. Okay. So clear some space. Another w- practical thing that you can do is you can start to memorize some scripture. Just mem- pick a Bible verse, memorize a verse, carry it with you throughout the day. You know, you're sitting at a stoplight stop and, and, and you're just going over that verse. You're, you're ruminating. You're letting it, like a cow chews its cud. You just think about that verse. You just let it work in your mind. Give the gospel some space to work and see what sort of fruit God bears in you. If you want to be more radical, and who doesn't? If you will be more radical, um, get rid of some of your stuff. We have too much stuff in this country. We have too much stuff. And it controls us. And we become consumed with taking care of our stuff and we don't need it. We can get rid of some of our stuff. We can can pick a few hobbies, but we don't have to be constantly busy all the time. A lot of times we're busy because we're hiding from God. We can create some space in our lives to let God be there and to to speak to us, just to have some time to have a meaningful conversation with somebody instead of always watching TV. Or in my case, reading. I read too much. I'll confess. Um, you know, have have some time to serve someone else, right? Don't have your schedule completely booked up so that you can have moments in that in that week or in the day when someone comes up and say, "Hey, can you help me move? Or can you drive me to this place?" And you've got moments in your day, in your week, when you can do that sort of thing. Because that's how God's gospel works in our lives—to make us more loving, to bear fruit in our lives. We have got to create space. So the point of this parable, is that Jesus is calling us all to be fruitful soil, to, to, just to be good soil, just to, to make some room in our lives for him to work. And as we do that, as we believe the gospel and put down roots in those promises, uh, as we clear some space and get rid of the cares and anxieties of the world, giving those to Jesus, then he will do his work in us and we will bear fruit. We will become more loving, we will become more joyful and more peaceful and more patient and more kind and more good and more long suffering. we will become more like Jesus, and as we do that, we will bear fruit that impacts other people so that literally in numerical value, we will see uh, we will see harvest of thirty, sixty, a hundred fold. Your life can make that sort of impact on other people. You can impact thirty people with your life. you can Im- that's, I mean that's poultry. you can impact thousands of people with your life if you just create space for God to bear fruit. And as you are more like Jesus, he will use you to make other people more like Jesus, and his kingdom will come. The kingdom of God is like farming. If we prepare the soil, his seed will grow. Let's pray. Father, I I sincerely pray that we will leave here today less dependent on ourselves, more dependent on you, and that you will work in those dependent hearts of your people to make us more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, uh, more like Jesus. And that folks around us will see that fruit and they'll say, I want that. And we'll be able to share with them the gospel and sow the word in their hearts and they will be fruitful soil and they will sow the word in others' hearts and they will be fruitful soil and you will impact this community with a revival and a transformation that we would be able to, to glorify you for all the great work that you've done in establishing a wonderful harvest. Oh Lord, let us go from here and put these words into practice. Hearing and understanding and taking them to heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.